Welcome to the Real Estate Woman's Podcast. Thanks for pulling up a chair to our roundtable discussion. Here, we'll teach you how you can create a stream of passive income through multifamily investing, and we'll help you to shift your mindset so you can start living the life you really want to be living by design today. and welcome to the passive investing podcast with the real estate women which is us my name is candy i'm colleen i'm tamara and i'm crystal Uh, in today's episode we are here to talk about the differences between investing in the stock market versus investing in real estate Um, and of course for things like for people like a busy professional the stock market can almost seem like the only place to invest your hard-earned money and savings for some good returns Um, because when most people think of investing in real estate the first thing that comes to mind is you know i don't have time to be a landlord Um, but that's where passive investing um, can come in and really fit the bill in different multifamily properties. Um, so for now, for that uh, topic of conversation, um, we brought on Steve Breton to shed the light on some of the differences. Uh, welcome morning. to the podcast, Steve. Thank <laughs> you. Morning. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So uh, Steve is a multifamily owner, operator, and syndicator who specializes in large community, large apartment communities. In 2017, Steve launched Velocity Capital to empower his journey to financial freedom through real estate investments and education. Steve has invested in over 3,000 apartment units to date. In addition to his investment activities, Steve often speaks at national real estate conferences and has been interviewed on multiple podcasts. He's also a real estate coach where he teaches both active and passive investing and how to invest in cash flowing properties. Welcome today, Steve. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the type of investment that came first for you? Was it real estate or stocks? Oh, 100% stocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, when I started my job straight out of college, uh, the very first thing was HR attacking me, telling me I have to invest in, in the 401k program, you know, all the typical stuff. And everyone around me, same thing, right? I, I would ask them, uh, you know, how much should I be putting in the 401k? They're like, you have to max it out. Right, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Right, we we mm-hmm. suffer for 35, 40 years in our four one k's till we can finally retire and use the money. <laughs> and how'd that work out for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, I could provide a, a bit more context around that. Um, so this was, and the timing doesn't matter. I'm a, I'm kind of an old guy at this point, but I think if we fast forward another 10, 20 years, it's going to be the same story. Uh, mm-hmm. But I started working nineteen ninety four. Um, and I started putting money in the stock market, mostly through the 401k, a bit of it outside of that. Uh, and it just kept going up and everything was great. I was like, wow, this is easy. And then mm-hmm. the dot-com bubble came, uh, and all those tech companies crashed the entire stock market. So, you know, lost more than half the money that I had in there. Uh, theoretically, everyone told me to just sit there and hold. So I did. And yeah, it came back just like everyone said, except it took like, you know, five or six years. And then sure enough, you know, things started to scream again in 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. leading up to the 2008 uh, crash. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the 2008 crash happened, or really 09-ish, uh, again, went right back down to where I was when I first started investing, right? The stock market, was, the S&P 500 is exactly the same as like 1995. Uh, and then it took another few years until 2013 before it finally broke even to my 2000 peak. Right, where the dot comable. So that's, you know, they call it the lost decade. It's really like 12 plus years 
where mm-hmm. the stock market really did nothing. Mm-hmm. So if you timed it properly, right, which isn't so easy, but if you mm-hmm. timed it properly, you could probably have gotten into the bottoms and wrote it up and gotten out and all that sort of thing. But all this research shows that you know that's really um, doesn't work for people. That people end up being too emotional when that roller coaster ride starts happening. They just want to jump off, so they jump off at the wrong point, which is usually at the bottom of the market when you know, <laughs> when it's maximum pain. Um, yeah, so I did that whole thing up and down, up and down, and then 2013 is when I decided to uh, I had had enough, and I said, mm-hmm. okay, I'm back to par. Let's try something different. Um, Actually, it was a little bit prior to that. Uh, I, I was already researching duplexes and like single family rentals and real estate, but I just didn't have the nerve to really go and execute. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just prior to 2013. So like November 2012, when I bought my first duplex. So what what was it that made you take that leap, like take that jump into real uh, estate? A couple of things. Uh, so there was one person in my office that said she was buying condos in Miami at the bottom of the market. So this was a couple of years prior. So it right. took a long time. I was sold on the stock market. Everybody told me. I even worked in, a financial, uh, um, in the financial industry. So I had a lot okay. of friends who were stockbrokers. And so I was fully brainwashed. So I was sticking with it, come hell or high water, until this person at work was, was like, hey, like, you know, there was, yeah, there's a massive crash, but that just, you know, provided massive opportunity for us. And here's what I'm buying. And then she showed me the price of her condos going up like crazy. And of course, wow. the stock market was going up again at this point as well. Right. Uh, but she was showing me the passive income. She showed me like in the past when the stock market crashes, what happens to real estate, it's a bit more level. So, you know, I started to research more and more. And yeah, that, so, you know, I finally had to just bite the bullet. So the, a lot of it was um, analysis paralysis of looking at duplexes in my area, being afraid of actually pulling the trigger. I was looking in the wrong markets, you know, even suburbs around Boston where I live, a lot of them don't really cash flow. Um, and, and one thing this woman did tell me was you have to cash flow. Like that's the number one thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're cash flowing along the way, eventually you'll see the appreciation, it, which in some markets is stronger than others, but if you're cash flowing, you're fine. So I finally had, um, I was introduced to a realtor locally who was helping me look at properties. And that realtor happened to own some rentals as well. And he was like, well, you have to look in this market and this market and this market, right? These three towns surrounding us. And everything clicked at that point, right? I could see the cash flow. I never even considered these other towns. Um, and then, so he helped me find my first couple of properties. Wow. Wow. That must have been a scary jump from having everybody telling you, like, okay. This is what you do. This is stock right. market. This is in finances to that one person yeah. giving you that push. So that uh, that must have well, been scary. How did that? How did also, that affect? Not only were people telling me that the stock market is the place to be and all that, right? For whatever the 10, 15 years prior to this, I also had people telling me you don't want to be a landlord. Yep. And literally, right. like a lot of my friends, they're like, "Oh, that's <laughs> the worst thing ever." I knew a friend who had you know a property, and you have to deal with this and that, and you know, tenants totally. and toilets, and being up in the middle of the night, and fires and I'm like, whoa, you're petrified now. <laughs> um, so I had to overcome all of that nonsense. Uh, and when I dug deeper, once I owned property, I went back to those people. Like we'd see each other at parties. I'm asking, you know, digging a little bit deeper. And they're like, well, you know, I inherited a couple of properties from my parents when they passed away. And, you know, I just left the door open and let the tenants come in, you know, prospective tenants come and see it. Never interviewed them. You know, they um, did everything wrong. 
So of course right. it was a nightmare. <laughs> it's not that hard to do it the right way, uh, but they didn't for sure. Yeah. So did that, you that start was... in the single family field and then eventually late lead into multifamily or how did that go for you? Uh, so this was right around the time when bigger pockets had just started. You know, they may have had, I don't know, 50 episodes or something when I first started listening to them. Uh, so I'm trying to think when that was like 2011 or something. Um, and there was a, this theme that I kept seeing, like people buy single families and then they all move out of single families and go buy multifamily, right? Because, you know, the whole concept of if one of your tenants leaves, well, you still have two or three people or tenants in that property and you're still cash flowing or at least breaking even. So I said, well, why would I start a single family when I can just jump straight to the chase and go to the multifamily? Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately I had a really good paying job and I'll give you a bit of more context about my, my savings and like how I perceived money and, and saving and investing. Uh, but I had a lot of savings and I said, yeah, I can certainly afford the duplex instead of buying a single family. So that's where I started. And I, you know, I bought, two in that first year and, and you know, two more the year after, and I just kept building. Um, so uh, yeah, just before I get the context, it's a funny story. When I told my kids that I was taking the leap to buy that first property, it ended up being a triplex actually. Um, it was an old farmhouse. It was literally like 1890s, oh, wow. which is another thing I was told all the time. Don't buy old properties, right? Nothing before right. the 60s, 70s. 1890 old farmhouse, but I loved the property. It looked, it was beautiful. You know, it needed a lot of maintenance, but I'm handy. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do all this maintenance. It's going to be fun, right? Which that part wasn't that fun. Um, but I, I come home and I tell my my kids, you know, at the dinner table. So I have three three young boys. At that time, they were oldest was like seventh or eighth grade. And uh, I'm telling them about uh, this triplex I'm going to buy. And they're just, you know, their gears are turning, trying to comprehend the idea that I would own somebody else's house. And so huh. I think it was my middle one that says, so you're going to be the boss of them? Like, like that, that's the only way they can understand it, which was kind of funny. I'm like, no, I'm the, they're actually the boss of me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the context piece of it is uh, I was born in, in Quebec. My parents were farmers, zero skills. French was my first language, and they snuck across the border uh, with wow. like $8 in their pockets. And... Uh, I learned English as I was going into school. And then, you know, I failed first grade because I couldn't speak <laughs> English. <laughs> so, you know, the, I, my parents are totally that typical immigrant, you know, work your butt off, right? Literally until mm -hmm. your fingers are bleeding, save every single penny and try to invest wisely. Although they didn't really invest, right? They just kept everything under the mattress. Mm -hmm. So that's the where I came from. So I was working, you know, two or three jobs in, in high school, you know, year round, mm -hmm. you know, working to put myself through college saving every penny I could. And then when I actually got the job and everyone told me about the stock market, I was like, well, I, I better do that because that's the smart thing to do. So that was the, the context I came from. But I started with nothing and saved like crazy. So by the time I actually was ready to invest in the stock market, I actually had substantial savings. And that also is what led to me being able to put down you know, the down payment on all these duplexes and triplexes that I bought in those first few years. Well, Steve, I can totally relate to the, my, my whole family is a, a long line of farmers and there is a very strong work ethic that comes from yeah. that, obviously, but yet the, the other aspect from it is that it is not, there's no, there's no financial education whatsoever. Complete ignorance. Completely oblivious to the point where 
just for my own, you know, I started my own, ironically enough, landscaping business I've been in, I've been now for 30 years and at the same time successful in that, but not thinking about financial future because I had no, mm -hmm. no mentors around me to tell me, hey, yeah. you might want to start investing in something. It was more of like, you just work until you die. Bury your money in the backyard in case you need it one day. That's right. Don't trust banks. Don't trust banks. Don't trust yeah. anybody else with your money. Yeah. yeah. And that was yeah, one I of the things I was actually from a family with a coffee can. <laughs> yeah. Thing, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> it's funny that Great the, hiding the, place. the more I have these sort of conversations, <laughs> a lot of people in real estate that have had some success come from similar type backgrounds. You know, they're, they're not silver spoon, you know, trust fund kind of people. Um, although some of them are, and, and maybe it's because their, their parents uh, were in real estate and that's how they got the trust fund in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, one of the things that was infuriating to me as I was learning about real estate and started to see some success, it was like, why don't they teach us in school? Right. Like, yeah, sure. I was financially you know, ignorant to some degree and so were my parents, but even the education that I did get eventually had nothing to do with real estate. And that's mm -hmm. literally to me, the best place to invest. Oh yeah. I totally love the fact that the story that you told about your kids too, where yeah. you know, your son is, is determining already right there. He's like working out like who, how do you get to be in control of something? You're going to see yeah. that little, when they respond to situations like that and the questions they ask, you can see the areas and where they're going to either excel or areas that they need to understand. So I think right. that was really great that you were sharing that experience um, and, and, and seeing and listening and talking with them. And, and at the same time, it sounds like you were reflecting your, in, inwardly who is really the boss of me when I'm doing real estate. Yeah, for sure. No, there was a lot of conversations. Like, how do you know it's going to work? Right. How do you, how do you collect rent? Right. So just having those conversations with them helped me kind of think it through as well, but being able to show them like the complexity of it, right. Not that it's super complex, but when you're trying to explain it to, you know, seventh grader, eighth grader, whatever, um, you know, they, their gears were turning and they were learning a lot in the process. And a lot of it was also showing them. And one of the reasons why I want to share that with them that I didn't know that I've been thinking right. about this for a while and I was a bit nervous and, you know, I was just going to take that leap and I was going to figure it out along the way. Right. Just like when the lawnmower breaks down and I fix it, they're like, how do you know? I'm like, well, I watch YouTube videos and I figure it out. Right. It's so the same thing. I listen to podcasts and, and YouTube and I figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah. I have to assume a lot of those conversations were that you, when you were even mulling it over, it's like, what's the risks that I'm seeing here in multifamily uh -huh. in real estate versus what's the risks of the stock market. And now, yeah. obviously, as you're looking back, I'm sure you have a really good view on risks in both area. And um, can you kind of share a little bit of the get the thought behind that and the risks versus of the stock market and versus the re real mm. estate um, for some of our listeners? Yeah, the, the interesting part is the financial industry talks about real estate like it's an alternative asset. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's it's actually the the oldest asset ever. Right. And and the size of the of the real estate market compared to the all the stock markets combined, it, you know, it dwarfs it. It's not the alternative. Stocks are really the alternative. And you know, again, that's in my mind, but even if you look at the size of the two, um, so, but, you know, they have their reasons for calling it alternative because they want to keep all of your assets under management, you know, at Fidelity or, or whatever it is, you know, wherever your brokerage account is. Um, 
Yeah. So I have a, a chart that, um, you know, I just printed out the, uh, the, I think it was the S and P 500 chart. It just kind of shows all of the ups and downs along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it's a pretty bumpy ride. If you look at it from like, you know, 2000 or 1990s all the way through to till today. And sure, you know, it does go up. So it, you know, it always goes up is, is what you'll hear. And, you know, I put that in quotes. Um, but it's a very bumpy ride along the way. And who knows when the gig is going to end. Right? And, that, and that could be true for real estate as well. Like maybe not all assets go up forever. Uh, the, the biggest risk I see is during that roller coaster, and I mentioned this earlier, a lot of people want to get off the roller coaster when they're in maximum pain or when the stock market is you know, near the bottom. Like right now, people are suffering. They've lost a lot of money. Right. Yeah. You know, people are telling me they're pulling their money out. And I'm like, well, you, know, you should have done that a while ago. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the best thing to do is now. Is it better to pull it out now when you're at the bottom and put it into real estate? Or is it better to just sit in the stock market, assume the Fed is going to start printing money again, right. and that'll juice the stock market again, right? Which is, it'll probably recover more quickly than your real estate gains will will gain for at least the next you know, year or two once they start printing money again. So it's, it's difficult to determine what to do at that point. But um, in real estate... So again, stock market has this, this bumpy ride. I wish I had a PowerPoint. I could show you this, but it's, it's a very bumpy ride, but it is going up over time. Whereas the real estate is just going like this, right? It's also going up. It's going up in parallel to the stock market for the most part, similar gains. It's actually better depending on how you invest, uh, substantially better, but it's going up and it's a flat line. And even today, if you look at the stock market just this year, it literally went off a cliff. If you look at that chart, mm-hmm. it goes straight down and it's a very deep downward spiral. It's ugly. Again, maximum pain. Yeah. And my real estate is still like, it's not valued any differently because I haven't tried to sell it. Right. So as long as I'm not in a pinch and trying to sell it or having to sell it, right, then it's fine. Right. I'm still collecting my rents. My leases are, are a year long and everyone's still continue, continue to pay their rents and everything's fine. So the value of the property is exactly the same. So if the stock market was down for two or three years, sure, like people are going to, you know, people in general who like most of our tenants either don't have any savings or they're saving in the stock market. Now they feel poor. So maybe they, they double up in their apartments and it starts to put down with pressure on rents. And yeah, it's slowly but surely it'll, it'll start inching down, but it's, it's tiny in comparison to the, the ups and downs of the stock market. So overall, I think, when you have that kind of smooth and steady ride and it's going upward, you know, all the time o- over time, um, you're not going to make those decisions where you're panicking and pulling all of your money out. And in fact, you can't, it's just not that easy. So you have a lot more time to kind of think about it and just play that long game. I'm thinking about uh, just from in my own personal comfort zone is I'm, I'm a very tangible person. Um, the stock stock market has always made me nervous because it's just like a piece of paper. Whereas with real estate, I have something that I can, well, not physically hold in my hands, but I certainly can put my hands on it. And I say, you know, it, it, it you know, this can, depending on the market, of course, but it overall, like you were describing, holds its value. And yeah. in a pinch, I still have the basis of something solid to to go back to if if there were something to happen. Because I think about when you talk about when you were investing in your 401k and then everything plummeted down, what if you were at right a couple of years before retirement and it plummeted yeah. down, everything would yeah. be gone. 
That so is a, a really big risk as well. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a, that that's timing of those crashes is is really a big deal when you're starting right. to approach retirement. Yeah, my in-laws are feeling that right now, actually. Mine as well. My my mother-in-law is like stressing about it. You know, her it's her whole life at the same job, always saved so well in the 401k. And now that she's getting to that age where she's ready to retire in a few years, that crash is just like heartbreaking. Now I'm like, I'm helping her out with some research on switching all of that into like a self-directed IRA so she can make these alternative investments. And now yeah. obviously seeing where we've come in real estate, um, but myself personally, not having a ton of experience in the stock market, always have kind of been self-employed self or an independent contractor. I don't never had that savings, um, that stock market stuff, but um, she sees, you know, what we've done with the savings that we've had. So she's just like, right. get me there, get me there, like get me out of this in the best way possible with the <clears throat> least, you know, punishment um, <laughs> as far as all the tax yeah. issues that she'll face um because yeah it's scary it's really scary i did the same thing with my parents um all pretty much all of their savings are now in my investments and and we sold a couple over the last you know couple of years or two or three per year over the last two years and they've done amazingly well right because the market was screaming in real estate and, and people just were making silly offers so we sold a couple and we did just unbelievably well and my parents are sitting here yesterday, they came to visit and they were telling us how they're earning more now in their passive real estate than they ever earned when the two of them were working Wow! and, and they have a better lifestyle. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's something, you know, again, one of the things that I love most about real estate is just being able to help people. Um, mm -hmm. And to see my parents literally be like giddy about money, which they never were when I was growing up. And they're right. so generous with our kids you know, at you know during the holidays and, and all of that. It's just it's wild that you can actually help people with that. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your lifestyle changes? Because obviously we we know you used to work and you've now kind of retired into real estate. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how it's impacted your life. Um, yeah. So I guess to continue on the uh, the story of you know regular Joe working his his job and. and one hour commute into work in the morning and out at least an hour. An hour was mm -hmm. when things were good. You know, wow. if it's raining, it's an hour and 15. If it's snowing, it's an hour and 45 or two hours uh, <laughs> in each direction. Area. So yeah, I did that. And I was working my, you know, like 50 hours a week. I, I had a, I was an IT uh, manager, uh, you know, running large projects and all that sort of thing. So I didn't really have a lot of time for real estate. Um, so I'll get to your, to your question in just a yeah. second. But the um, what ended up happening was I had this portfolio now of 16 units. And then I was thinking, well, I need to go and buy larger units because I, I figured you know, to replace my salary, I needed about 40 units of multifamily, right? So that's like 20 duplexes or you know, however you want to carve it out. Um, it was a lot. And when I got to about 16, I started realizing I'm self-managing all of this stuff. Now I, I do have tenants calling me while I'm at work in Boston, but my properties are an hour, hour and a half away. Like I can't just drop everything and go. Uh, or if I need to show the apartments or whatever, it was just too much. So um, I, I did end up buying a six unit property with my dad up in New Hampshire, but he was managing that one. Um, so that was a fun project, like really fun to just be involved with my dad in that way. Um, but that was it. I, at that point, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So what am I going to do? Do I go back to the stock market? And then uh, a friend of mine was, you know, had introduced me a while before that to passive investing in syndications. 
in multifamily. So I had invested a couple of times in syndications. You know, I just put like a $50,000 um, investment into somebody else's multifamily and they were buying those in Texas or Florida or whatever it was. And what I was seeing was that the cash flow from that 50K was equal or better than the cash flow that I was getting from my own properties. Mm -hmm. And I was working in, in my own properties. I had to mm -hmm. do everything. If I put those properties under property management, I wouldn't be getting any cash flow at all, at least in my part of the country. Right. And it's yeah. very specific to where you where you live. Right. But for me, it made a lot of sense to start putting more money in these passive investments via syndication. And uh, I did. And I started selling off my small property portfolio to the point where I had like two two buildings left. They were my first two. I couldn't let them go. Um, I finally sold them off uh, very recently. Last year was the last one. Actually, I'm sorry, this year, um, which is another amazing story about. The, one of the tenants ended up buying it. They were there oh, for 10 years. Yeah. I didn't so, have a heart to raise rents on them. So after mm -hmm. you know, 10 years, I told them I wanted to sell it. And they're like, I want to buy it. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking That's to myself, awesome. like, you're a landscaper, immigrant. You, your wife has two jobs. That, you know, I'm not even sure if you guys have your, your papers to, to be in this country. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm just all this stuff going through my head. I'm like, I'm not selling this thing at a discount. And he's like, yeah, just name your price. So I gave them the fair market price that I was thinking about listing it for, and it was done. Like we literally wow. bought it. So we, you know, when we closed, they were literally at the table crying. Mm -hmm. right? It was in person closing, um, and thanking me for like treating them so kindly and help, helping them feel like they were in a home all this time and not raising the rents um, so that they could save and actually have this moment. So that, yeah, it's just crazy. I'm actually getting a little teary just thinking about it. Yeah, they so had their true. coffee can. They had the, oh dear, I have a little bit of a puppy issue. Sorry, the light is moving. Yeah. Um, they had their coffee can in the backyard and the rent that you didn't Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they saved That's it all. Awesome. That's so fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so fast forward, uh, I had more time on my hands now without all my properties and just making these passive investments. And the more I saw these passive investments paying off, a couple of them sold and I got a really mm -hmm. big payout again for doing nothing other than selecting somebody I wanted to invest with. Um, I started thinking, well, you know, that can't be that difficult being the one who's syndicating since I already know how to manage properties. I'm already, you know, I used to work in, in finance and IT and project manage. I'm like, there's, I'm sure, sure there's nothing there that I can't handle from an accounting or IT or uh, sorry, finance basis. Um, so I, I started researching on how to be a syndicator. I ended up hiring a coach, uh, who taught me basically how to launch my business and how to manage everything. And, and that was also pretty scary. Um, that, that was like sort of the next big jump for me, uh, was, to, was to go into something completely different as a business to try to replace my income that way. Yeah. Um, and another just quick story there again, now we're sitting around the, the, the dinner table, uh, with, with my family and the boys are a bit older. And uh, my sons knew that I wanted to go big is what I said. You know, I wanted to go buy bigger properties. And so my oldest one was always on me. Like, when are we going to go big? Right. And he always said, we, like, he's going to be like part of this company sometime. Um, so he was always pushing me. And, you know, I always had the same song and dance about I have responsibilities. So we got to put you guys through college. I can't just leave my job. You know, all the sort of limited mindset things that I had going on. Right. Um, and so, you know, probably the third time he asked me this, and, and I think he was maybe end of his freshman year at this point in high school um, or sophomore year. So I'm, I'm giving him my song and dance, telling him, you know, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And he just puts his head up and he says, when are you going to stop being a 
P word <laughs> in front of my wife and my, you know, his younger siblings. And, you know, my, you know, wow. blue collar immigrant background, I just wanted to get up and go, you know, smack him. Um, <laughs> fortunately, he was at the other end of the table. So by the time I thought about it for a second, I'm like, God, he's right. So that's literally the next morning when I started calling around everyone I knew who did coaching of any sort, business coaching, real estate coaching. I found the right mentor and I uh, launched my business shortly thereafter. And now you have to give him a uh, part of the business for. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he went to college for real estate finance and, and started learning, you know, everything that I sort of learned through kind of grit and, and just figuring things out. He learned it from a more of a, a you know, educational perspective. Um, so he knows the right way to do everything. He just doesn't have the experience to go along with it. So the two of us could make a heck of a team at some point. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. That, that's like a total end goal for me personally, like get it from here to there to like have kids all in it. And that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that, you know, your hesitation was for him and he's seen that the whole time, but he knew right. the whole time he had more faith in you than you could possibly have in yourself. He's like, just do it. He like, he had so right. much faith and confidence that you could just <laughs> do it when you did it. That's, yeah. That's, that's awesome. pretty wild. Horrible. I love it. Yeah, and, and to think right now that I, I could actually have a generational business that I've started and generational wealth and all those other things that I thought was always completely out of reach. Uh, it's, it's literally right within reach. It's actually on my goals list this year yeah. to kind of figure out what this is going to look like in the next five years as a transition. One That's of the things I'm hearing you talk from just looking forward to changing, thinking about changing your future, how you have also changed the lives of the people around you. Mm -hmm. in a really beautiful way. This is these wonderful gifts that we don't know that are going to happen when yeah. we pursue our dreams and try to better our lives in, in, in a different, in a different way that we've been taught. Yeah. It's wild, you know? So, and that starts with changing your own life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I took that leap and bought my first, you know, triplex, uh, took the leap and trusted somebody else, which also was a huge leap just going to passive investments with somebody else. Cause I'm a type a I'm handy. I can do everything mm -hmm. myself, you know, and that was my sort of my persona, how I thought about myself was I can do it all myself. So I had to manage my own properties. And then at some point to make that leap, to let somebody else buy and manage, and I have zero mm -hmm. say into what happens, massive leap for me, very difficult to do. Uh, fortunately, I, I did make that leap and now I have absolutely no problem doing it. Um, but I made that leap and that kind of set in motion all these other things with eventually leaving my job because my business was going well in syndication. And so from the lifestyle perspective, you know, I went from working 50 hours a week, the, the commute, the nonsense in a job that wasn't really that fulfilling. I love my job, you know, up until I started mm -hmm. real estate, um, which that's something you can warn people about is yeah. once you get into this, it's kind of hard to not, not look at it. Um, but I, I, you know, I found a way to like my job enough for the few years that I needed to, to transition. Uh, but now I'm working, you know, 20, 30 hours a week from home. I set my own schedule. I work out, you know, I have coffee with my wife in the morning. We just sit around and talk and like just completely different lifestyle. And to be able to be that example for somebody, you know, for, for my friends and family of, you know, if you have some passive income, you can stress a little bit less about work. You can perhaps have a better schedule right. because, you know, at some point, if you have enough passive income, you don't really care about your job that much. Right. 
So the, the small things that nag you that make you not like your job kind of melt away. And all of a sudden you like your job better because you don't feel yeah. like you're stuck there. Right. Right. Totally. That's nice. It's funny. Cause on that same hand, like real estate can make you can turn you from like having a job that you like. Cause I know um, before I went to real estate, like I, I thoroughly enjoyed my job. I was in experiential marketing. I traveled the country. My husband and I did it together. Like I loved my job, but yeah. it was, it wasn't about the finances. It wasn't about the money. Cause there was no complaints there. It was about the time freedom, the ability to do what you wanted when you wanted more. So like we were ready to get married and have little ones. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine anybody else raising my kids. That was just something I'm one of four. And my mom, I, we were homeschooled. So my mom literally right. was home teaching all four of us. So it's like, I, I just couldn't have that lifestyle. And then real estate, you know, we had started as a backup, a retirement plan. And then slowly we realized the potential and, um, it was all, it was, it was scary and fun along the way, but it's like, you realize how much more fun real estate can be. And then it's like, Oh man, I really don't want to go do that anymore. I really don't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed this. Right. So it is, it's funny. It's a really funny situation. Um, but now it's um, one thing I have just a little bit more of a question for you. You started um, investing kind of more actively, um, whereas after once you kind of realized the passive side of it, um, if you could kind of go back and um, do it again, what would you would you do it differently? Would you start with the active investing or would you provided you had the information and knowledge? Would you or would you do it all passively? Since you said you got some, so I know that's a tricky one, but what, what yeah, was your personal? Yeah, th there's no straightforward answer on that. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people say, you know, they wish they started earlier or they wish they started differently. And sure, I have some of those thoughts as well. But I always look at um, like even the the time that I spent in my job, those the, the last sort of five years, I had a, a tremendous amount of growth within the company in terms of responsibility and in the sort of things I was working on. And um, you know the number of people reporting to me, the finances, the size of the budgets, it was massive compared to what I used to do. And I felt like that fully prepared me to be in the real estate syndication world where like, you know, I just committed to a loan yesterday that was a $42 million loan. Wow. And, and it's just, it's just numbers. Like it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't, you know, scare me. It's just, you know, work. Uh, but had I not had that experience, I'd, I'd be freaking out about that. So, you know, all those experiences along the way, you know, being an immigrant, being picked on because you couldn't speak English or, you know, whatever, th that all kind of builds and makes you who you are. So I have a hard time saying that, you know, the buying the duplexes and being a landlord and having to deal with, with the, the sort of negative side of that, which there are some, um, you know, it, it built some character for sure. It helps to give me a lot of context around what my property managers are now doing because I'm on the phone with them yeah. every week for every property. And I'm not just going to be, you know, irresponsible in what I'm telling them to do or, you know, telling them to do something that's either impossible or really bad for my tenants. Like I totally get it. So it's a lot easier to have that, you know, that relationship. And then I can, you know, I can pepper in my financial background with work and stuff to kind of look at the books and see the numbers and understand you know, what's actually happening at the property, whether they tell me or not, you can kind of see that stuff through the financials anyway. Yeah. yeah well, that's amazing yeah, how yeah, you yeah, built totally on things and dominoes of everything that led to, I think that people can really relate to that. And um, I really appreciate you sharing that. 
Yeah. And, and again, you don't have to start that way. So some people like live in right. New York to buy a rental in New York, like you're not going to cash flow. And in fact, yeah. it's probably negative yeah. cash flow. You're going to have to take money right. out of your own bank account to pay right. the bills at the property. Right. For the most part, if you're trying to buy like right. a, you know, a condo or whatever you're going to buy there, you know, an apartment there is going to be a million dollars anyway or more. So, you know, if that's where you are, then don't start with a duplex or, or a single family home, mm-hmm. right? Find a syndicator, find an operator that can do it for you and that invests in a state where it cash flows a lot better and where it's much more business friendly. And that's, that's the key, right? Is finding somebody that you trust. And that's the scary part being, being, uh, yeah, being the person that's always used to being in charge and letting go of the control. And I mm-hmm. know actually our, our, my first and only date passive investment is with you, Steve, as you know, um, <laughs> and that is, it was scary, definitely scary at first. Um, but we're thrilled about it now. <laughs> that's right. for sure. And it's, it's yeah. uh, but you surrounded yourself with people in real estate and that's how yeah. we end up meeting. And then, you know, I'm sure you asked mm-hmm. other people about me and, and my, their experience with me or how well they know me. So, you know, you, you vetted the opportunity, you vetted the person who is presenting the opportunity and yes. yeah, it's a, it's a bit of work at first and, and the whole mindset shift and all that, but again, not impossible. Yeah, definitely. The digging, the background, all of that, that was like knowing your experience and all of that definitely was a big help. And I would say that's for listeners, that's the biggest thing. Don't just jump into something. And, uh, you know, just hope for the best. You really have to do your research and know that you're um, have the right questions to ask, you know, learn more about what are the questions. And that's that's what we're doing here to try to educate everybody on what the right questions are to Mm -hmm. ask and to, you know, just make sure everybody is as safe as possible because everything has risks. But, um, you know, when you're when you're talking about risks in um, multifamily versus the risks you have obviously seen, it's definitely different and more. uh, easier to sleep with at night <laughs> to rest with. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I feel um, like we're, we may be running out of time here on this episode. I think we could talk real estate like forever <laughs> if, if there was a forever. So, um, you know, Steve, so if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, how would they do that? And how could they reach you? Probably the easiest thing to do is to go to my website. So the name of the company is Velocity Capital, but the website is velocitycap.com. Okay, great. Well, we like to end each episode with uh, a mindset quote of the day. Um, and um, where we, I have three cards for you to pick one through three. Okay. Just to make it a little, you know, put a little flavor in it. I'll go with three. Number three. Okay. So the quote is formal education will make you a living, but self-education will make you a fortune. That's from Jim Rohn. Yeah. I, that's Puts amazing. A smile on your face. That's, I like it. That really, you know, I could not, could not have picked a better card. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I can literally say I just lived that in, in the past mm-hmm. 10 years. Right. I went to college. I did all the right things. I got a great job, followed the path that everybody told me to follow. And on that path, it would have been, you know, me working for another, I don't know, 13 years, 15 years, okay. uh, delayed, you know, delaying my financial freedom until I can actually take the money out of the 401k. And instead, I decided to educate myself to the point where I was able to earn differently 
uh, and get those cash flows that are coming today and replace my income. And now I already have that freedom. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I want to commend you on you know something that you were just saying and taking the knowledge that you had for what your family taught you, but taking that self-education just a step further to kind of not that you're you're in a way you're kind of breaking the link of the the traditional way of going about life and taking that because that's a scary step not following the path of others to to kind of yeah. make your own path and with people that you are <clears throat> but not necessarily know very well and say okay i'm going to join this group now to figure out how to do this and uh and everything you've just described in in this podcast it's really, it's really, I want to commend you on your journey because there were a lot of times there you could have said, I quit, mm -hmm. I can't do this. I just yeah. have to take care of my kids and my, 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 my wife and, and just move forward in the traditional way. So that's yeah, thank you for that. character. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's scary. Um, and then you have a certain circle of friends that you're in with now. It's scary for them too, to watch you go and do this transition. Right. And a lot of them with the best of intentions, one of our very good friends is an attorney. When I first started talking about leaving my job and doing real estate, he was like, that's crazy. You're going to be competing against like all these massive equity companies and they'll crush you. You know, and he was looking out for me. He was absolutely, I mean, he's a lawyer, right? That's what he does. Yeah. Uh, so that delayed me for like a year. Just, just that one conversation. I was like, oh my God, he's right. I better go back to the safety of my cubicle, you know? <laughs> so so there's one is what somebody looking out for you. The other is there's, and I don't think this was the case for him, uh, but there's others that'll just be a little bit envious, right? Because it makes them think to themselves, like, why am I not taking that same journey? Why aren't I self-educating and going and doing something different and eventually being able to be financially free or independent or be able to help others or whatever it is? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in people's heads that can help or hurt you. And, um, yeah. you know, that's you always have to kind of guard the, the gateway to your mind, make sure you're not letting that stuff in there or only let the right stuff in. Love that. Love that. that sometimes can be the hardest part, you know, guiding, really guarding your mind and guarding the gateway because um, it's just so easy, especially, you know, family, like my Vava, my grandmother, you know, right off the boat from Portugal, every time we tell her, we're going to, we're going to buy something or we're going to put an offer on this or invest in this. And she's like, Oh my gosh, be careful, be careful. This yeah. is like, you Oh, don't do that. Oh my gosh. You have to be careful. Like it's always fear, fear, fear first. And no matter how much we try and she's doing it from a place of love, she's worried. Of course. Um, and it's just no matter how much you try to explain to her, some people just always see the fear side. They always see the negative. And sometimes it's not yeah. because they're trying to bring you down. It's just because they're just so scared of anything that's not traditional, anything that's not normal. If I told her I was going to put money in the stock market just because she sees it on the news all the time, she would have been like, yay, that's great. That's awesome. But really, <laughs> that would have right. been a lot more comfortable. So For sure. it's, and, it's, and the fear is important too. You have to have both. You have to be able to see the upside and the downside. And that fear yeah. is going to keep you from doing something stupid, hopefully. Yep. And then hopefully your education that you get along the way, you're self-educating yourself and things gives you the knowledge to decipher fear that you should have in fear that's kind of illogical. So that's yep. the little bit of that education along the way is just of the utmost importance because without it, you can't, you don't know what you're really looking at. So right. it's definitely self-education and anything, especially real estate is so important. So that was an awesome yeah. quote. Jim Rohn's awesome. He always has that's the best. That's quotes. a great quote. Well, does anyone else have anything to say about that quote? <laughs> 
I mean, I'll just add myself, like, as a, as a mom of two kids in high school now, and we're looking at colleges and, you know, education, um, we started bringing my oldest son to some real estate conferences. So uh, a couple months back, we go to a birthday party, and he was asked, uh, what do you want to do when you're older? Are you going to go to college or whatnot? And my husband and I just died of this. So his answer is, I'm going to go to college. I think I want to do finance and accounting. But I'm only going to do that for a few years because I really want to get into some passive investments that will just pay me to not have to work so hard. Right so on. it's like, and I mean, everybody just kind of looked at him like, oh boy, your, your parents are dragging you into this. But um, yeah. to me, it's like my, my parents didn't give me that education, right? I mean, it was, what are you going to go to college for? And I went to college and I did all of that and I work. Um, but nobody gave me that, you know, that self-education or that, hey, there's some alternatives to it too, you know? So mm-hmm. we try to provide that for them. And then it's just kind of funny that it, it clicks in his brain and he's like, yeah, why am I going to go work 40 hours a week if I could do something else and make money? Right. And yeah, so, the, the, the crux of the Jim Rohn quote is that that education is going to help you to earn a living, right? So yeah. that's, that's like baseline, right? You, mm-hmm. you need to be able to take care of yourself and your family. So go get an education, learn something useful that you can then do. And, and yeah, sure, you're trading your time for money, but that's fine. Like you've got education, you, you've got yourself to the point where no one's ever going to have to take care of you. And that's mm-hmm. a very valuable baseline. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, that should be your backup plan. It should mm-hmm. be, you know, I'm going to do that for a while, like your son said. And yeah. then when people start taking me seriously as an adult, and I've learned a few things, and I've had a few hard knocks and gotten back up, I'm going to go launch a business or do something different. Pamela, do you have anything to add to that? No, you wrapped it all up. Everything I would say. <laughs> Just keep, keep being, keep being I educated, I guess I would add to that. Is to, you know, you can only, I try to learn something new every single day. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you can continue that path as well. So. Yeah. Never ends. Never. Mm. Well, Steve, we've run out of time, but I just want to thank you. This episode has been fantastic. It's inspirational. It covers everything that we were, we're looking to, to kind of get a little bit of deep in, insight into the stock market versus the real estate investing and particularly multifamily and how your journey just is allowed. I think for myself, I could so totally relate just, you know, we're ordinary people living extraordinary lives based upon the decisions and the self-education that we've done and stepping into the fear. And it's really just, it's been a pleasure having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everyone, I want to say thank you for listening, and I hope you got as much out of this podcast as we did and um, for joining us at the roundtable today. But if you want to learn more about us, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and visit us on our website, therealestatewomen.com. For now, we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye everyone. <laughs> The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only. We are not licensed professionals and do not give investment advice, tax advice, or other professional advice. Please consult a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.